to get situated here. Wow, I think I just need to pray and then move forward. Father, we are humbled and we honor you today. We recognize, Lord, that in and of ourselves that we know that we can do nothing, but we do recognize that through the power of your Holy Spirit that you would speak and continue to speak to your people today. Give them what they need, Father God. Deposit within them. Strengthen them. Encourage them. Uh, Let them know that they are overcomers. Uh, Let them feel and sense your presence today, we pray, and those that are that have maybe fallen away or backslid, Lord, let them be reunited with you. And I pray that you would uh, speak uh, here to the church and those would be listening online later, Lord, uh, your heart. It's in Jesus' name I pray and all God's people said, amen, amen. Thank you. Thank you all, church. Uh, Praise the Lord. I have something I want to share with you and... um, I guess in this moment, we don't have to play that little MP3, that's okay, because I'm a little, getting or, or, a little disorientated, but uh, I do want to say uh, a huge thankfulness to, uh, some of you may know, a Noel Schoenberg. Noel fixed the system. <laughs> so if you know Noel, you give him a high five and you hug him, and Noel was part of our youth group many years ago, such a godly man, and... and um, uh, Anyhow, he came in, and I said, work your supernatural magic, and he did. So anyhow, uh, in um, praying that if we have other stuff, he'll be able to come back. But if you know Noel, tell him we love you and thankful to all that he has done. I want to talk to you about something today that uh, I've been thinking about for quite some time. Uh, it may be just a standalone message, but depending upon our time, I may bring it into a two-part series, but... Um, I want to pray for our children and our youth at the end of the service. Uh, I look around and all the events that we have, the kids come, your kids, and they're running around and they're screaming with laughter and joy, playing, jumping, fooling with all the other kids here, building relationships. Can I get an amen? And I want to talk about the importance of having godly friends, because really, realistically, and I don't mean this to be a downer, but within a number, a few years, they're going to be adults, and they will face some things that right now, which is proper, uh, they are shielded from, and I think about that, and I think about the future of Church for the Harvest, and I think about, you know, stewarding God's house, and how that needs to be stewarded, and it takes Righteous young men and women that rise up and say, yes, we're going to continue to carry the torch. Uh, But it's also, this message isn't just for children and youth, it's for us as adults. Now, for most of us, typically, uh, you have a few friends. Some of you have, you know, thousands of friends. But realistically, when we talk about a friend, we're talking about somebody that you can confide in. And then that really, that circle gets narrow really, really fast. Because you may have someone or had someone and they were close to you, but they passed away. Uh, you know, I, I experienced that. It's that I was able to confide in. And, and then you're faced with, it's like, okay, here I am in this season of life. And how do you develop new friends? So this may or may not be a two-part series about choosing godly friends. And I want to talk about how our life is connected. Our life is connected. There's a, a verse here 
uh, I'd like to bring up for some reason. Thank you. In 1 Corinthians 15, says, don't fool yourself. Bad friends will destroy you. You should think about that. And you are where you're at today largely because of our, our thoughts. We know that. But also our friends. I want you to think about that. And so once again, this verse, it makes me think about the future of harvest in the future of our children. I mean, all parents in here want our kids to grow up to serve the Lord in whatever capacity and calling he has given them, amen, their whole life. I mean, if that alone prayer is answered, that is enough for me as a parent, that they love God, they serve him, and they devote their life to him. Because that's huge. That's why there are so many that are not. And the enemy comes in and destroys that. And so, so I believe, once again, we have a responsibility to steward God's house. And for those of you who the Holy Spirit, I'm going to say it this way, have, has divinely and supernaturally placed you in this local church body. I believe, I mean, a lot of spiritual terms right there, but God divinely and supernaturally plants people in local houses to utilize their gifts. Uh, there's a verse in Psalm 92 that talks about that. Those that are planted in the house of the Lord, somebody shall planted. It's like, I didn't know that. You are planted in the house of the Lord. It says they will flourish in your family. I don't know about you, but I want my family to flourish, right? They will flourish. They will thrive. They will do well. They will grow and bear fruit, it says, even in old age. And uh, depending on what season of life you're in, you can apply that to your life, that, that uh, I want to continue to bear fruit as I age. Amen? Are you with me this morning? And so if you're running your race to win, uh, I really believe that we need to be in, here's another spiritual term, but in divine alignment, alignment, uh, actually in the right place, in, in, ch in the church that God has divinely placed you in. And uh, how many know that, you know, sadly, uh, there are institutions that you could be plugged in with and not learn anything? And, and there are people that are in pulpits that don't even know Jesus. That's a fact. Even in this region, they don't even know Jesus. What are you doing? What are you trying to give to the people <laughs> if you don't know the Lord? Can I get an amen? And, and, and so it's vital. It's vital for us uh, because, you know, friends matter, and, and they are a very important influence on our life in the direction that God wants to bring us. And, uh, you know, how many know that even the words, our words matter, teaching matters? Did you know that? Did you hear that? Teaching, what is being taught matters, and um, what you listen to matters. How many know that God is not the author of confusion? You start hearing things that are confusing, and listen, you should be able to give a Bible to an individual on an island, and they should be able to read that Bible, come on somebody, and then when they read that Bible, they should be able to understand Jesus, salvation, and the kingdom of God. The basics, they should be able to it. And so, so when you hear things that are confusing, and uh, one translation says, uh, God is not the author of confusion, he's the author of peace in good order. Peace in good order. And so when you lose your peace, and there's a teaching that's out there that causes you to somehow lose your peace, you have to stop and say, Lord, you know, is this, should I be going down this 
pathway. And so let me just dive in the importance of having godly friends. I have a picture here that um, I love this picture. We were in Sri Lanka with Pastor Steve, and then there was uh, Peter Mel, a missionary, and he passed away in, in 2017 in May, and then we know Pastor uh, or Woody there in Sri Lanka. And so we're doing a, uh, a crusade there in Sri Lanka, and I don't know what was going on. We either were exhausted and hadn't slept for 24 hours, and, but it was a moment we were laughing. And, and I just want to say that with these guys in this, this circle of friends, and actually, it, it, I think this was, I got this other photo Steve sent me. Uh, we made up shirts. I forgot about this, but uh, we were basically like the Three Stooges. So Steve was Mo, and <laughs> Quantum Mo, started to tell you that. Uh, Pete was Larry, and I was Curly. All right, and, uh, uh, and you know, whoop, 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 whoop. Yeah, I was curly. And, and, and so we, but there was a synergy in the friendship. I traveled the world with these guys, preaching the gospel. Some of you have known them or have known them and the impact that they have had on your life. Peter Mal was like a lion in Ukraine. Went into every prison. I've been into some of those prisons and shared stories and preaching the gospel and going constantly from village to village to village where nobody cared to go to. Nobody even batted an eye where, you know, evangelists would come in, maybe come into the big cities and maybe uh, Odessa possibly, but they'd be in Kiev and try to fill a stadium. Pete went where no Americans went. I actually was on him on a trip back in 1995, and there were certain villages went in. They never met an American. And uh, it was just amazing to see what communism has done to a nation, how demonic. But Pete preached the gospel, established churches, and Bible schools and in prison and it just on and on and on. And I was honored to be a part of that with him as he ran his race. And then many of you know Pastor Steve and uh, who's uh, uh, pastors the Destiny Church. And, and I traveled many places uh, throughout Southeast Asia with Steve and preaching the gospel and, and hearing him whine and complain on missions trips and him going at it with Pete and Pete going back. And I was a mediator and we would laugh so much that the van we were in moved. Because <laughs> sometimes you can't just take things seriously. You just got to laugh. It's crazy. The KGB comes in, pulls the plug, and, you know, like, what's going on? He's let, the devil is a liar. But that and those friendships helped me grow to where I'm at today. But it's a different story depending on your friends. Are you with me? Young people, are you listening? <clears throat> There's another verse here. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion and fools will suffer harm. And, uh, you know, there are so many stories I could tell, story after story of situations where people, even, I'm going to say this in a loving, life-giving way, but you have to be conscientious, even with blood family. Now, what I mean by that is, yes, we love them, they are blood, and family should stick together, amen? <laughs> you know, they should stick together, but, but, you know, there are times where there's a direction maybe the Lord has you going that possibly may be contrary to the way they believe and see. And you have to make a choice. As hard as it is at times, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You're not trying to be mean. You're not trying to be ugly. You're not trying to be holier than thou. But it's just not the direction you're supposed to take your family and your life. And sometimes that can be painful. That can be painful. How many with me? Say amen. 
And uh, so, but, but we want to walk with wisdom in that when it comes to families, walking with the wise. I heard a situation about years ago, a family member, it was a brother and sister situation, and the brother was very domineering, figured he knew everything spiritually, and the sister was kind of under that, and she really felt that she should take this job at a, at a, at a certain company, and uh, she would grow into that company, and she saw a future. And he said, no, you need to help with the family business, and you need to not do that. She was accepted and ready to start, and so she actually called them and said, I have to resign. I just was told I need to do something else. And sure enough, the family business, whatever, fell apart, and, and she is bitter today because she is in this laborious employment thinking about, I listened to the wrong voice. Hear me, church. Listening to the wrong voice can send you in a trajectory that you wind up somewhere and wonder, how did I get here? One voice. Importance of godly friends in your life. About 10 years ago, I did a series on guardrails. Some of you remember that. And, um, you know, guardrails are things we don't pay much attention to. Uh, We don't think about them until we hit one, right? (laughs) And, and, and when we hit one, it's probably because we needed one, right? And I, I think of a trip, I think it was 2005, we went to the tea plantation. Uh, I think that video clip was actually, we were up there in Bandalawala. But to get to the tea plantation there, there was treacherous mountain ranges with no guardrails to where you would go up with a bus and them driving them, of course, they're They're either the craziest drivers in the world or they're the best drivers in the world. I don't know, because it seems like they divert death every moment when they drive. And and there was a gal that was with us on this trip, and we were taking this bus, and it was 800 feet down. Just You would just continue to roll, and the road was half the size of what a half size should be. So the tire is, and I told everyone, get on the opposite side and take the windows down and I don't think I could have fit through the window, but I thought I just weighed it. This girl on this mission trip started cursing a blue streak. Get me out of this bus. Get me out of this bus. Anyhow, she was terrified. No guardrails. It was a terrifying trip, but we made it. Here's the thing, and I just want to inject about guardrails in your life. Guardrails. A guardrail is a system designed to keep vehicles from straying into dangerous or off-limit areas. Interesting. And so that's what a guardrail does. And the whole idea, obviously, of a guardrail is to create a small accident to protect you from a worse accident. Going somewhere. Typically, you find guardrails within the realm of safety. So how does this apply to our lives personally when we're talking about friendships? A guardrail is a personal standard of behavior that becomes a matter of conscience. Watch this that when you violate them, you would feel like you've actually done something wrong. How many with me say amen? Now, here's the thing you just need to keep this in mind. It's not something that our culture is going to help you with. Why? Because we live, we know, in a culture uh, that baits us to the edge of disaster. Watch this. Then it chastises us when we step over the line. Isn't that right? So that's just the culture we live in. And this is how temptation goes. Satan, his demons, they taunt you. Do it, do it, do it, do it. You do it, then he pounds you with guilt. 
You're no good. You never recover. Call yourself a Christian? You're not a Christian. You don't act like a Christian. You're not acting like a Christian. Why try? Why try? I keep, am I speaking to anybody this morning? Why? 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 That's the way he works. And since we have crime and we have violence and we see government corruption, we see personal greed and then sexuality that's unhinged and it's crazy. Like, so, so we live in a culture that morally baits us into things we have no business doing morally. Watch this. And then once we do it, the culture turns right around, and then it chastises us. Isn't that right? And so our culture baits us into doing things we shouldn't be doing financially. Then as soon as we do those things, financially or whatever it may be, our culture chastises us for being irresponsible. And that's just like the devil's mode of operation, and that's how he tempts people. And so how do we handle this? How do we build especially when we get into here about friendships, a guardrail, how do we put into place? And I felt, I look at it, just some experience in my life, the only way to handle that personally is watch this, you have to decide beforehand what you're going to do. It may sound simplistic, but it is huge. It is huge. What are you talking about, Pastor Mike? In other words, you know what? I'm gonna resist the bait. I'm gonna resist moving myself to the edge of disaster And I'm going to set up a personal guardrail in my life that's going to help me not go over the cliff, and I'm going to divert a disaster. That's something you do personally. That's not something that mommy and daddy, see, mommy and daddy do that for us when we're eight years old. Come on, when we're 12 years old, (laughs) right? They, They have guardrails in your life. I'll get to some of that in friendships here in a moment, but... Um, I'm going to resist that bait. I'm going to try to divert a disaster beforehand because it will come. The te- the, come on, somebody. The temptation will come. Yeah, that, that, that need for that guardrail will come in your life. But you have a choice and decision. Did you make beforehand? Did you, did you decide beforehand, if I get in that situation, this is what I'm going to do? Because you just walk around with an open mind and like, well, I don't know. We'll just see. Should I go with that group? Should I hang? Should I do this or that? I don't know. Let's just see. Seems fun. Preach, Pastor Mike. I believe I will. <laughs> you know, back in, uh, <clears throat> it was 1985, I was stationed in Camp Lejeune, North Carolina, in Marine Corps base, and I got orders to go to Okinawa, Japan. <clears throat> and typically, most Marines, when they're stationed, most, are sent overseas for at least a year. And uh, so I w- was sent to Okinawa, and on our way to Okinawa, I saw all these Marines. I had a friend that was stationed with me in, uh, at Camp Lejeune in the company I was with. His name was Jeff, and he was a, he was a believer, and uh, he was married, had a, a little, little son that was really cute, and his name was Zach, and I always thought I'd like that name, Zach, so I named my son Zach. <laughs> but I just really liked him. His brother was... Uh, uh, came in second place for bodybuilding for the state of Ohio, and they were lifters. And I just, I like Jeff. We we're friends, and I, we made a pact together before we went to Okinawa. And he didn't want to leave his wife. It was like really agonizing. And he had a CO who was in Vietnam and said, I don't care. I left my family. And there was, there was no mercy. He was cutting it. He was, he was flying over. So the point was, is that we, uh, uh, we were almost there to Okinawa in flight. And then on the radio, it says, 
We have a diversion. There's a typhoon that's hitting Okinawa. We have to divert to Subic Bay, Philippines. And I hear this roar in the plane, and guys are screaming with excitement. I'm like, what, what's in Subic Bay, Philippines? I've never been there. And, and uh, some chatter started going on, and it's like, oh, the Philippines. It's a real wild and crazy place. And so uh, we landed, and we're in the Philippines. I, we were there maybe a week, a little over a week. And st- I'm in the Marine Corps now, United States Marine Corps. This is not the Boy Scouts, Marines. So they divided, diverted us, and so they rented out a whole apartment complex. It's like a two-level, and there was probably 30 or 40 of us Marines in, in that one alone. And um, we got situated. We each had our own room, and I was thinking, strange, these rooms. And he was upstairs. I was downstairs, and all these Marines, I'm telling you, within 20 minutes, a jeepney shows up full of prostitutes. And the guy comes to each one of the doors. This is how persistent. Comes to each of the doors and bangs on the door and says, boom, boom, boom. You know, you serviceman and you're here, you must have this guide. And he brings a little girl, 14 years old. Talk about sound of freedom. Okay, to, and her name was Joy. I remember it. And I said, why do I... I was confused. I am 18 years old. I'm like, why do I need a guide? I went to the Marine Corps. Aren't they going to take me? You must have her everywhere you go. And I'm like, I just don't, I don't understand this. No. And I'm like, I don't need no guide. I'm good here. And put her out and closed the door and, and took a shower, came back out, got dressed, and boom, there she is. She's in the room. And I started saying, why are you here? And, oh, I'm your guide, your guide. And I said, you listen to me. I said, I am a Christian, and Jesus is my Lord and Savior. See, I already built a guide, a guardrail before I went there with my friend. Him and I is like, if we run into a situation, this is what we're going to do, and we're going to help each other. And uh, I remember um, uh, in that moment that I, I began to share the gospel with her, and I said, as a Christian, a true Christian won't do this, and I just began to plead with her. Well, she didn't like it. And so I said, I'm taking you out. And then I heard a ruckus upstairs. And I think it was my Jeff, friend Jeff. And he actually was so upset, he pushed her down the stairs. Like, get away from me, because they, they invaded the whole place. <laughs> and uh, as I went outside, I saw the jeepney there, other women. And this guy came up to me, and he was the pimp or whatever. And he just looked at me and said, you don't like or whatever? You want someone else? I said, no. I said, I, I, I don't want any part of this. And so while she was walking with me, she slammed me with her shoulder into the garage door. I just hit it, and I was like, I don't care. She was telling the rest of them, he snubbed me, so I snubbed him. And I remember seeing my friend Jeff come down just like his eyes were just like crazy. It's like, I got to get out of here. This place is crazy. And, and he did the same thing, and we stuck together. I share that. I know that's a heavy a heavy story, but it actually happened in my life. But see, we had to have a guardrail set up before that moment. Am I speaking to anybody? And uh, we need, all of us need guardrails in our life. And we don't implement a guardrail the last minute. Are you still with me this morning? So we have to decide beforehand. If this happens, is this is what I'm going to do, and this is how, watch this, I'm going to get out of this situation. Follow that. Get out of it. And so today, just building upon what I'm getting, I want to talk to you about very briefly 
and we might, for the sake of time, make this a two-part, but I want to talk to you about the importance of your friendships, the friendships. The, uh, here's the deal. At some point in our life, you're going to find yourself close to people, friends. We know that. People you work with. Uh, maybe you call them your amigos, your comrades, your posse, whatever you call it, the people you hang out with, you go on a walk with, uh, you, you play pickleball with, uh, you work out with, uh, maybe you go fishing with, or you fellowship with at church. They are your friends. Now, the Bible talks about accepting one another. And how many know that we would accept each other? The Bible says, therefore, continue to accept. Somebody shout accept. And welcome one another as Christ Jesus accepted and welcomed us into the glory of our great God. But we're talking about friends here. We're not talking about accepting or not accepting people. These are people that have influence in your life. Okay? So, yes, we are to accept. But here's the thing. At certain times, we're going to find ourselves in an unavoidable, close proximity with people who are moving, watch this, in their lives in the opposite direction that God wants you to move in. This is a prophetic word for many of you here today, and it's not just for the young people too. It's even for us that, you know, in the season of life, the different season that we're in, the opposite direction. And when that's the case, you have to have space. Somebody shout space. What do you mean by that? Space so they don't, in their decisions, take you out. Now watch this, I'm going somewhere. They'll take you out. They have maybe different values, different morals, whatever that may have been. When I mean by space, I mean room. I mean sufficient uh, freedom, watch this, from external pressure for yourself, what? To do the right thing. This is how powerful friendships are, for good or not for good. <clears throat> there are story after story after story of people putting themselves in, in vulnerable situations and they're, they're stuck. And that's when the enemy takes advantage. And like a fly in a spider's web, uh, you get yourself in situations that you feel in the moment, I'm stuck. You have a choice to make. So now this tension of moving the opposite direction, being too close to the wrong people, uh, I think that begins even in our childhood. It starts when we were young. I mean, if you grew up in a typical American family home, you, how many know your parents at times would freak out for the kids you hung around with? And, uh, you know, it's like, okay, who are, you, who are you hanging out with? And, and at the time, you can't understand, like, why don't you like her? Or why don't you like him? Or why don't you like this group of people? Or... Uh, there was a group uh, uh, of some friends that we were, became acquaintance with, and uh, I remember named Carl and Ricky. And uh, we could never go to Carl and Ricky's house. And I wondered, why? Why Carl and Ricky, they have fun. They have dirt bikes. They have street bikes. And, and they're cool. You know, they had the coolest, and, and, and we'd never go over them. And then we found down the road that the FBI was watching them because Carl was stealing pistols and putting them in bags and throwing them in a piggery. And we were in the pictures at the FBI on the fence, looking, hanging with Carl. Come on, somebody. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, uh, you know, we we're, were like, hey, what's wrong with him? What's wrong with her? I remember uh, as a kid, Dad, he moved us from South Boston, Mass, the Dorchester area. It was getting really bad. And he moves us to a town, Brockton, uh, more in the South Shore. Then that's just started to get really, really uh, uh, challenging in the neighborhood. And 
it was just gangs coming in, and it, it, so he had enough foresight, he, and he had the ability, he moved us to a town called Bridgewater, and then my mom, it's near Cape Cod, and my mom would take us out of school, so she took us out of the public schools, she had to go before the school board, all of that, it was 400 people there, and she's like, I want to take my kids out, and she was just kind of standing alone, and back, that's back in the 1970s, and there are wonderful teachers in the public school, how many know we need to pray for them? We need to encourage them because we know it's an uphill battle, but we thank God for the teachers that are in the public school. But anyhow, Brockton High School was a zoo. There were 7,000 students, four major wings on it, green, blue, red, and I don't know what was the other color. And it depends on where you're at and if, you know, the gang ones are in red wing and, you know, good kids were in the green wing. I mean, it was crazy. There were stabbings. There were walkouts. I'm like, mom's like, why are you home? I was like, everybody walked out of school, you know? I mean, they shut everything down or I'd go back into school and be three people in the class. It's like, and it was just a crazy, crazy time. This was back in the 1980s. And, but we still found friends to hang out with even when we were homeschooled. And, and uh, you know, once again, the parents would say, you know what, you can't go over to their house and you can't do that with him, whatever. And we just get upset. We'd argue with our parents. No, no youth do that in here. Argue. Like, why? How come? How come we can't do that? Why can't we spend time with them? You know what? It's great. Their parents are never home. They let us do whatever we want to. And your parents goes, exactly. That's why. They're not there. And so what do we do? We try to build houses that we build recreation areas so the kids can come to our house with the pool table and so we can watch our kids. And then before you know it, they're grown up and they're gone. <laughs> Anyhow, and, you know, your parents, uh, they understood, and then we as become parents, we begin to understand, and people follow leaders, good or bad. And... Parents understood intuitively a very important principle. Your friends ultimately influence the direction and the quality of your life, and that's a fact. Your friends could actually determine, this one's heavy, the direction and the quality of your life. Think about that. And so normal parents understand when you get too close to people moving in the opposite direction, they're going to pull you in that direction, amen, that they're going to pull in that direction and that they're heading. And that is a fact. Unless there is a strong core in a made-up mind in that young person, they'll be pulled away. I remember when my wife and I, we were youth pastoring back in the 1990s out in Ashby, and we had first started in, it was August 1st, 1993. It was a Monday. <laughs> uh, so it would be 30 years tomorrow. Yeah. No wonder why they did that. Yeah. I'm a little slow. <clears throat> Sorry. Uh, praise the Lord. Um, 30 years. Wow. Uh, I was 28. <laughs> I had hair. <clears throat> and it was dark. <clears throat> so, uh, but we, we were really reaching out. <clears throat> Angie was a part of that. And Chris Wagner and some others. And uh, being a part of that. And we bus these kids in They're from Alexandria, Fergus Falls. That time, one time we grew that youth group to close to 100 kids coming on a Wednesday night out in Ashby. And what happened is I invited uh, Mac Hammond, uh, is retired now, but his son, I think, has taken over Living Word uh, Church in, in Maple Grove. And so his youth pastor was really, you know, well-known back then. He said, hey, would you come speak to the youth? So he came. 
he came, spoke to the youth, and he was saying, hey, wow, there was a lot going on, and they heard of, you know, the growth that was happening in the youth group, and so he spoke to the youth, and, and we had kids everywhere, and, and they were, it was, at times, it was chaotic. <laughs> it was, it was, they were carving in the bathroom walls, leaving messages, and it was just like, okay, so the core group of kids, the 25 or 45 kids we had, became overwhelmed with all these other kids we just kind of brought off the street. And I was thinking like a huge net, let's get them safe, amen? You know, let's just reach these kids. And, and he said to me, he said, Mike, you gotta be careful. Darkness will pull on the light. That's nothing about the weakness of the power of God, but it's just the way the enemy works. And he, he said, you have to make sure that you have uh, uh, solid leaders in that group and you have uh, uh, kids that are solid and that you never, it's okay to do outreach at this time, but never have it where the majority of your kids don't know Jesus and you have this core group that are like, what's going on? They will affect that group. And I learned a lesson at that time. So I had to kind of put the brakes on. We still did outreach, but, um, you know, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. That's what I'm trying to talk about. And so we needed solid leaders and, um, and so, actually, we started the Touch Pastor ministry. I know we don't talk about that anymore because that's, anyhow, back then it was cool. And then it meant that the pastors were in touch with the kids. Come on, somebody. Anyhow, and, and, and so, so we raised them up, and, and, and some of them are even here today. And so uh, that helped with that us to grow in strength having leaders. And so let me just continue. I diverted there. But, but your friends will influence the direction and the quality of your life. How many with me say amen? <clears throat> See how far we can go here. And so for all of us who grew up with those overreactive parents, you know, now what are we doing? We're doing the same thing today. And we react, we get concerned about our kids. And this was caused me to want to speak on this. When I look around in every event, whether it's just a worship night, or a picnic or whatever, I look, I look at all of these kids running around and in just a few years. Come on, in just a few years. There'll be 17, 18, come on, somebody, 19, college, the world. And we do what we do, that we feel what we need to do to protect them, but we, there's this, this, this fear, this angst, whatever you want to call it. It's like, am I doing all I can to build them for success? And we want to be part of that. We are part of that as Harvest, as a church. That's why I'm preaching on this. I'm concerned about it. I don't want to lose not one of them. I don't want to lose not one child. One child for the kingdom and the purpose of God to the enemy in the world. Are you with me? Say amen. Amen. And so, but now today, we have a huge advantage as parents. You say, how so? Well, we have social media today. So do they. <clears throat> so we have electronic surveillance things that, you know, kids call it creeping. <clears throat> we don't have to go anywhere. We can just spy on them through their social media. Come on, somebody. Friends Finder, Snapchat, Instagram, TikTok, WhatsApp. We can check their text. Come on. Some of you are just like, mm, I'm not doing that. Yeah. <clears throat> Phone records. It's awesome. We can spy. And the very same thing, you know, what our parents did and interfere with our lives, we we're interfering with their lives. And, and, and so, so same today, you know, if you're a parent and raising kids in this culture, um, we can also freak out 
like our parents did, why we understand the same thing, that why our friends ultimately influence the direction and the quality of our life. And we know that those friends, who they hang out with, who they go with, who they run off with, will affect their life for good or for evil. And so I don't mean this to be a heavy, but that little cute 12-year-old boy who does everything, who helps around the house, and he's, you know, he's going to be 18 and probably be able to bench press the back of a pickup truck, you know, someday. And those beautiful little girls or whatever, they're going to have friends that will influence them. And my heart and desire is that we create such an atmosphere here at church that kids, when they go, we're going to church, they go, yes, they love it. And that's the, I hear that from parents. They come because they're going to be hanging out with their friends that we create a synergy here that helps them in the young adult years. Come on, somebody, those college years and helps them along the way. That's my heart. That's my heart. Are you with me? Say Amen. And so if we're really honest, we know that as if looking back in our own lives, it was those questionable friends that introduced us to things that were not good for our life. Smoke weed, do drugs, get involved in bad relationships. Isn't that right? So here's the thing about friendship. The thing that makes friendship so great is the thing that makes friendship so dangerous. When you're with a friend, what do you do? You drop your guard. You drop your guard, meaning you stop being careful, watch this, to avoid danger or difficulty. We drop our guard when we're with our friends. And so the reason we're attracted to certain people is because we're, we love acceptance. We want to be accepted. And the enemy plays on that in those formidable years, I would say anywhere from 13 to 18. It's where the enemy, depending with a boy or a girl, some it's earlier, but he knows that we are acceptance magnets. But at the time when they're eight years old and nine years old, let's say, Johnny, he's just a good little boy. Johnny, will you help him with this? And yes, mommy, you know, and they're wearing a 12 slim, thin pants, you know, and they're just, we get, we get like, I love you, mommy. And then they hit 16. And the enemy works that over. Come on, I know I'm preaching better than you're responding. Yeah. And so we're all repelled by rejection. We're attracted to acceptance. And here's the thing. When I'm, with, with, when I'm with people accept me, I drop my guard. When I'm with people accept me, and they accept you, that's the most important influence in your life at that time because you drop your guard. And here's a huge principle. Acceptance leads to influence. Isn't that right? And what I mean by influence is the capacity to have an effect on their character, their development in their life, behavior, someone or something that affects itself. And so once again, it could be either good or bad. King David in the Old Testament understood the power and the effects of friends when he wrote in Psalm 41.9. It's a very sobering verse. It's very sad. I don't mean it to be a heavy, but... All of us possibly in some time in our life experience this. Even my closest friend and whom I trusted, watch this, whom I ate dinner with has betrayed me and turned against me. The friend I trusted, the friend I was at peace with. Wow, feel that. And one commentary says this. It illustrates the meaning as a man who's feeding a horse and the horse turns around and kicks him in the face. Some of us can feel that more than others. So what am I saying? Acceptance leads to influence. 
And Satan is trying to gain the influence over all of our lives, but especially young people in those formidable years. And so you may have never heard it stated that way, but you've experienced this and seen your kids experience it. And, and uh, you know, they, when you're around people that accept you, and I've seen it, kids go through this, and they're around a person, a guy or a girl or whatever, and, and they just, they just, they're like a magnet in that situation. They feel that it's so, it's so fun. And when we're around rejection, we close down. And that's what makes friendships so great, but it also is what makes friendships so dangerous. You know, when I think about the influence and I think about, um, you know, if you think about the first drink that you drank probably was with a friend. The first cigarette you smoked was probably with a friend. Uh, just keep looking straight forward if you would. The first, you know, <laughs> uh, alcohol you drank or the drugs that you took was probably with a friend. Um, my dad had a brilliant cure for me in smoking, he worked at dry cleaning. There was a lady, Marion, who worked there. She was a presser, and uh, she would wear every Monday a T-shirt that said, I hate Mondays. And she would, every weekend, they would get three cases of beer and drink the whole weekend and be drunk. No wonder why she shows up Monday and she hates Mondays. <clears throat> Literally, this is a fact, for like 40 years. You know, you think of people in their lives, it's how Satan is out to destroy, kill people. And, uh, but she smoked camels with no filters. <laughs> Just keep looking straight forward. And so my dad said, oh, you all want to smoke? I was 14, you know, my sister was there. And we're like, yeah, yeah. So he went and grabbed Marion's camels, stuck it in my mouth and said, here. And so my sister was kind of going. He goes, no, 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 inhale that. The moment I did, my eyes rolled back in my head, and I ran to the bathroom, cured me for my whole life. Not my sister. <laughs> but the, the point is, is that, uh, you know, Satan, we know that acceptance leads to influence, influence. And here's the thing. Your greatest regrets don't revolve around your enemies, do they? Your greatest regrets and pains and hurts revolve around being with friends, people that you've trusted. And some of the most addictive behaviors imaginable are behaviors that we acquire, things that we began as a pastime. Hey, it's fun. We're with friends. And then the enemy, he, he hooks you. He hooks you. That is his mode of operation. And so you got around some people that were moving in the opposite direction, and they bring you closer and closer and closer. And, and, and here's the thing. You're the one that changed, not them. Did you hear that? You're the one that are making decisions that are compromising because you have no guardrails set up in your life. And you said, you know, if I ever get in that situation when I head to college, here's what I'm going to do. We are the ones that change. Here's the thing. Let me just say this about this principle. Is true of all of us. Our friends influence the direction, the quality of our lives, and sometimes determine the direction, the quality of our lives. That, as a parent, should alarm all of us, and we should be concerned about where our kids are going. Can I get an amen? Who they're hanging out with? And once again, it's something that you know isn't something we decide. It's just it's a principle, and that can work for you or it can work against you. And so we see that the importance of guardrails in our life. Uh, I think of another story here, I'm almost done, that uh, back in 1984, 
once again, I was stationed at Camp Lejeune. I was 20 years old. And so I wasn't an NCO at that time, non-commissioned officer, so I was a PFC, Lance Corporal, I can't remember. And so you're in a squad bay with 80 guys, and you have bunk beds, and you look one way and the other way, and that's how it was uh, back then. And uh, these guys, you know, when, you know, it was time for, uh, for them to have formation and just have everybody be dismissed, and they go off in the community, and they all go party and all night, and so they come back two in the morning. I'm trying to sleep, and they come and they see me there, and they knew I was the guy that had guardrails in their life. They couldn't articulate, but why don't you curse, Corporal Bart or Lance Corporal Bart? Why why don't you drink? Why don't you do? Come on, somebody! That all of a sudden they're gonna because people are gonna watch, and they look at why what what what's the matter with you? So they would shake my rack. And wake me up, and I knew they were shaking. I'm like, oh, finally get up. And they're drunk. They're harassing me. And they're like, how come this? And I talk to some of them and just say, well, you know, in any day of the week I could live like you, but I choose not to. (laughs) You know, and I was just like, I fought them. And did you hear that? I said I fought them at times, just like, you know what? Shut your mouth. You know what? I'm standing up for what I believe in. And that was powerful. That shook them. That's like, you know, and that's what God wants for our youth. Not to be like me, but them. They have a made-up mind. So for me and my house, I'm going to serve the Lord. And only an encounter with the Holy Spirit in your life, ongoing too, is going to keep that in your life. Not just one or two times. Amen? And so, uh, and many of those guys, they were married, and, and I could look in their eyes like, does your wife know what you're doing, you know? And I could see that. And, but here's the thing. Before I even went into the Marine Corps, I remember this. It was 17 days. Uh, I was 17 years old, and I went into my little closet. It was 532 East Street, and I got in this little closet, and I tried to begin to pray because I knew what I signed up for, and I didn't know what I was going to be faced with. Absolutely didn't know. But I was like, Lord, help me. And so every day I just go in there, and I had a little stopwatch. You know, click how long was he in there? And I thought I prayed, you know, my whole life. It was only three minutes and 42 seconds. Uh, but I began to pray in the Spirit. And I began to pray. And it was a time, by the time of 17 days, it would be an hour and a half, two hours. Time just evaporated. And I just began to get solidified. I said, Lord, keep me. Help me. Help me to be strong like going to the Marines. And he did. It wasn't perfect. I stumbled at times. But, but God kept me. Why? I create a space. I'm going to shout space. It's a guardrail that we set up where you have a made-up mind to follow Jesus Christ. Space where you're not stuck. Now watch this. I, I just found this. I thought this was cool. This was my, I actually bought this Camaro when I was in. And that's actually at Camp Lejeune. And to the left of there would be here is my barracks. And so I had this 1977 Camaro. I wish I had that today. <clears throat> And uh, uh, I didn't have enough money. I put rims on the back, but I didn't have money for the front. And they would laugh and mock at me. And, and, and then finally I got them from the front. And they said they picked on other things. And, but I, I hardly ever, watch this, I hardly ever went in a group with the guys if I didn't drive myself. Why? Because I could be stuck. Hear me, young people. You're in a situation, hey, woo, we're going to go do this. I have officiated at funerals of carloads of kids that did something, flipped or attended funerals, 
and they were in the wrong place at the wrong time. Am I speaking to anybody here today? And, they, and it, it happened. They didn't, you didn't create space. You say, well, I didn't have money to have a car. Before that, what did I do? I lifted weights. That's what started me to lift weights, saying, you know, what do I tell these guys? I'm not going out partying, whatever. I'm going to the gym. So they're like, oh, all right, he's going to the gym. They left me alone. And so I just did that, just work out, work out. It's like, was that a lonely life, Pastor Mike? Was that, I mean, you had no friends at the time. There was a season. It was at a time. But God brought me some good people, some solid people. You know, their belief is everywhere. And the moment I landed in Okinawa, I wasn't happy. I didn't have a good attitude. But I met a dark green uh, sergeant. He was a solid believer. And uh, we got connected to him. Then I met uh, uh, another sergeant. Uh, he was actually a staff sergeant. And he was a Hispanic, loved Jesus. I mean, he was radical, like, like, like more radical than me. And I'd hang with him. Come on. So we started Bible study. and We'd get together. And other people, Marines, would come. How many with me? Say amen. I'm almost done. And so I had to create space where you're not stuck. Stand with me, if you would, please, as I conclude. I had to decide beforehand what I was going to do when this stuff happens. Maybe uh, Mark or one of the ushers can go, and I've asked the kids, uh, Katie, to bring the kids in here. And here's the thing. I want to pray for our kids. Worship team, you come forward. And this is not just for, uh, uh, just for youth, but I specifically want to pray for our children and our youth in the church. Is that all right? Can I do that? We're going to be ending here soon. But I think this is really important. The people, your friends you hang out with have the power to influence the direction and the quality of your lives. That's a fact. And so while these uh, young kids are coming, Katie will be bringing them in a moment. Uh, I just want to invite, you're a young person in here, or maybe you're not a young person and you're struggling and saying, you know what, I, I, I feel like this, Pastor Mike, the friends thing is weighing heavy on me without getting into all details. Or you feel like, I'm just alone. I want to pray for you. I want you to know that if you're standing and doing the right thing, you may look around like, I got nobody, I got nobody. I did not have a multiplicity. I did not have that, friends. But as I went off to Bible school, you get to know people in the same company, amen? And God brings them into your life. But there may be a season in your space you feel alone. That's okay. You can overcome. Look at it. God's given me a huge family. <laughs> yeah, I grew up in an Italian family, you know. We are like stumps, you know, all of the eight of us. But God's given me a family. And the Bible says there are friends that stick closer than a brother. And I just would never have thought that in my life as a young person. And so you're here this morning uh, as a young person. Uh, I want to invite you. So whether you're 13 or whatever, 20, could you just come forward? I'm not here to embarrass you, but... I do want to pray for you, and I think it's important as a church that we all pray for them. Can you help me out with that, uh, church family? Say, hey, that's you. Come on up. Just come forward. Just stand up forward here and face the audience if you would. I mean, maybe you're 22 or 28, and you're feeling this. This is heavy on you, and it's like, yeah, this is really affecting me. But I am inviting you to come forward. I want to just pray for you. <clears throat> and uh, I think, I hope someone went and talked to Katie back there. I talked to them beforehand. Here they come. Here comes the kids now. And I think it's important, too, even our, our young kids, um, that we, uh, we pray over them, even though they're in a season of their life right now that they're very impressionable. 
They're going to obey mommy and daddy, but when they start getting older, look at these awesome, beautiful young men and women. Can we give them a hand? And so here comes, yeah, the kids group. Let's give them a hand as they come. Awesome. We just, we want to, we want to pray with you and and so my wife and I, we were youth pastors for over nine years, and we had hundreds of kids. <clears throat> Honda, yeah, you can just come forward and stand in front of the, the bigger kids and just smile at your parents, and we're going to pray for all of you. And we had, uh, as, as youth pastors, we had hundreds of kids through the nine-plus years we were there that came out to Ashby and Many kids were saved, and I've done the weddings of a number of them as they grew up. And what was always heavy on my heart was I preached my heart out as much as I preach it out today to those young kids. I did. We really did. And uh, telling them about Jesus, serving Jesus, praying for creative ideas to reach them as our youth and in uh, uh, kids' ministry, they do. But I noticed something that was like clockwork. And uh, I would like you kids just to turn, if you would now, and face me. So my wife and I, when we youth pastored, we had many, many kids come through our youth group. Yeah, you go look up here. And I just want to, I just want to look in your eyes. And I want to encourage you in the Lord. I want to encourage you to stand strong. At this age, stand strong. Because like clockwork, the devil, in about four, five, eight, or ten years for some of you, will begin to harass you in your mind. Watch this. He's going to say thoughts like, do you believe the Bible? Is the Bible true? Why do we go to church? How come my friends don't do this? How come my friends don't do that? Why, why, you know, we go to church and we study about God. How come when I pray at times, it seems like nobody's listening? This is how the enemy works. Isn't that right, church? This is how the enemy works. And we want you to know that we're here for you, but not just here for you, but that we're investing and building for your future. That you have a place that you call church home, a place of strength where you have friends. Well, you have people that you connect with. You say, I don't have them now. It's okay. God will bring them in your life if you remain faithful. But Satan wants to severely, ferociously attack your mind, especially in the teen years. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Get you defeated. Make you feel that, you know what? I can't live this perfect life. Listen, Jesus didn't ask you to try in your own strength to be perfect. You can't do that. But through his power, you can. And he has grace and he has forgiveness there for you if you take that step. I recently read a news article uh, about the dangers of vaping. And this teen stepmom, the, the, the child was uh, killed. His name was Solomon Wine. He was a healthy teenager, and he loved playing football. And he was like a star athlete on the team. But the parents didn't smoke and had no idea about what was happening. Nothing. 
And he began to vape. And he began to admit to the doctor, he says, yeah, I'm not denying it. Because they began to, as they brought him into the hospital, they checked him in. There was something going on with his breathing. And, and um, <clears throat> something was affecting his lungs. And he actually died just from that. This just happened. It's in the news. And the parents said this. He said, it wasn't something that was accessible to him. And we didn't have anything in the house. And, and they go on in the article and said, it was something he got to his friends. His friends. Wow. And he also admitted before he died, he said that his friends provided him with the vapes and, and showed him how to do it. Wow. Friends. Good friends can lead you in a direction to follow the Lord and be strong. I had a picture up here of some friends that I had that helped me in my faith and encouraged me. Bad influences on your life will bring you in a direction that's not good. We don't want that for you. Are you listening to me? We want you to grow up strong in the Lord, connections, in love with Jesus. Amen. I'd like you up front, if you just bow your head, if you would, please. Hallelujah. I want to pray over you. I want to pray over the friendships you have now. If you have friends that you know, when you get around them, you don't act like you know you should act like, I want to challenge you to pray for new friends. <laughs> to ask God to bring new friends in your life. And you may... God will give you wisdom how to handle that to not be mean or ugly but this is serious the effect of friendships on your life they'll take you down a path of the road that your parents don't want for you that the Holy Spirit doesn't want for you this church doesn't want for you we want you to be solid in the things of the Lord with every head bowed could your parents just stretch your hands towards these kids if you would actually as we conclude I would maybe some of you parents just come down or some of you just, well, they're here. I know it's, we're limited for space up here, but just begin to, I just feel you need to lay hands on some of them. And so there may be some, some people in the church here that lay hands on you, but there's something powerful about the laying on of hands. Now, I know all of the church can't come down here, but, but some of you can. We just get to a point where maybe we're saturated, but I just feel it's important. And just begin to pray. Just begin to pray right now for these young people as I lead you in a prayer. Just lay hands upon them. Some of you parents, they need strength. That's it. That's it. They need strength. They need to know they're not alone. They need to know that through this season, they're going to come through. And I just pray for clarity right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, that you'll rescue these kids. Rescue them, Father, I pray. From the lies of the enemy. From the works of Satan in darkness. Lord, that they would find safety and strength and a home in your house. And if some of them go off to college, that, Lord, they would build a guardrail in their life, that they would make up their mind beforehand when they get in a situation where there's questionable things that go contrary to they know in their spirit, that they would choose righteousness, that they would choose what is right. Just like Joseph taking off running and fleeing from Potiphar's wife, that they would flee in that moment. The Lord, that you would give them space. Show them the space they need to create in their life. Show them, Holy Spirit. And those vulnerable young kids here that 
the covering as parents that we have over their life. Protect them, keep them, strengthen them. But Lord, give them heavenly wisdom, we pray. Give them supernatural wisdom. Give them understanding years ahead to discern what's right and what's wrong. Give them wisdom. Let them be light years ahead to recognize the voice of the Holy Spirit in the voice of the enemy and to have guardrails. And when you stumble, when you fall, you need to know this. God is for you. He's not against you. There's repentance. There's forgiveness. Keep drawing near to the Lord. As you draw near to Him, He'll begin to take these things out of your life. He'll strengthen you in those weak moments. But you have a responsibility to put that guardrail in your life. You have a responsibility to make up your mind before it happens to protect you. Each and every one of you has that. Lord, I just thank you right now. I feel, I just feel a destiny in this moment. I feel a legacy in this moment. I feel the kingdom of God going forward. Satan, your lies are broken over every one of these young people. We claim them for the Lord and for the Lord's purpose all the days of their life in the name of Jesus. And God's people said, amen, amen, amen. Let's give the Lord praise. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you, young people. You can high-five as you go back to your seats. Thank you so much. God bless you. I know we went a little long here today, but you know what? This is worth it. I said this is worth it. So continue to encourage you to pray about the friendships that you have and anything that pulls you away from the Lord and God's purpose for your life. <coughs> ask God to show you a guardrail. Hallelujah. Amen, church. <clears throat> Amen. Well, let's close the service here. I want to invite the altar workers to come forward, if you would, at this time, altar workers. And if we, I know we're coming back to our seats, and, but I just want to challenge those of you here today. <clears throat> you don't know Jesus. <clears throat> That's the first step. in the trajectory of your life. You say, Pastor, that's me. I need to get right with the Lord. With every head bowed in this holy moment. I want to lead you into prayer. The Bible says, now is the time of salvation. Today's the day. <coughs> Excuse me. And that's you. Pray this with me. Say, Jesus, I repent. I'm a sinner. Jesus, come into my life. Save me. Fill me with your presence. I make a decision today to serve you all the days of my life. I believe you died on that cross for my sins. Jesus, I invite you into my life. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for forgiving me. In Jesus' name.